0: today again if you're just joining us glad to have you uh we are coming to you live this morning uh november 27th 2022 um we've had a couple of just real side note here for a moment we've had a couple of little technical hiccups the last couple weeks um and that uh, we're aware of those technical technical uh hiccups we're trying to address them so i uh, thank you for those of you that had noticed those and um let us know what was going on uh, we are attempting to, uh, change those and rectify them. Um, so just know that we're aware of them and hopefully we can get those fixed. I want to do something today and we'll see where the Lord will take all of this. Uh, and we're just going to kind of take a little journey, uh, this morning through the scriptures. And, uh, I, I've said this now numerous times and, and I don't mean this, um, it's a personal thing more than it is necessarily a uh, an indictment against anything else. It's just more of a personal, I guess maybe personal preference if you could say it that way. But if you uh, told me, there's 66 books in the Bible in case you don't know. There's 39 books in the Old, 27 books in the New Testament. When you combine that, you get 66. That makes up what we call the Bible. Every book is divinely inspired by the, by God. Every book is given us. to given given to us by God in fact uh, the book of Timothy tells us that all scripture is given by God so I, I I don't I don't I don't personally like to elevate certain scriptures above others you know someone asked me not oh, several years ago someone asked me what's your favorite scripture and honestly I didn't have one and I still today don't have one. And maybe you do. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have a favorite scripture, but I didn't have a favorite scripture because to be honest with you, the scriptures, uh, change depending on where I am in my life because what's my favorite scripture today will be different tomorrow because I'm in a different part of my life. And that's the beauty sometimes uh, of the, not sometimes, that's the beauty of the word of God, how dynamic and shifting it is in my life. Uh, but if I had to choose, I don't know if I could choose a favorite scripture. Maybe you can. Maybe you have several. And, and again, I'm not saying you're something wrong with that. Um, you know, maybe you've got that scripture tattooed on your arm and that's your scripture. God bless you if that's what you've chosen to do. Uh, but uh, I, I, it would be very hard for me if I had to pick one scripture. In fact, I think it would be pretty impossible for me if I had to be honest with you. However... If someone asked me what, you know, you have 66 books of the Bible and you had to get rid of 65 and only be left with one, what book would you choose? And that's where it's kind of, for me, it's a little different because honestly, I don't even think I would hesitate. There'd be one book, and some of you know what that book would be because I've talked about it before, but there'd be one book that I would choose above every other book to study and to have, and that would be the Gospel of John. For many reasons, I don't want to go into all those today. Uh, but John's gospel is just absolutely, if you're going to read one, if you're going to pick out a, a book of the Bible to read, John's gospel is such an amazing book to read and the depth of it to study is just, it's just unfathomable. The depth of the, the gospel of John in so many ways, but what's interesting, and I'm getting to a point here, I'm not meandering along for a moment is that when John sits down to write his gospel with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all these men are giving us these this what we call the Gospels. The Gospels are four different books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they make up the Gospels. The Gospels are not biographical. In fact, the Gospels aren't even chronological. And why is that important for us to understand? That's important for us to understand because of several reasons. Number one, if they're not biographical... Um. then what are they really trying to do for us, right? It's not just giving us the story of Jesus Christ. It's really giving us the message of Jesus Christ. And there's a difference between the story and the message. And what I mean by that is it's not just simply recounting the events of Jesus' life. Well, Jesus went here. He spoke this. He ate this. He slept here. It's really giving us the message of Jesus Christ from four different perspectives to four different audiences. Never forget that when these gospels were written, they were not I always often uh, just to kind of give you some context here and I'm making a point because this is important. I'm not just giving you a a, a Bible school lecture here. Uh, what's important to understand about the Gospels is is that they were written uh, 30 years, 25, 30, 35 years somewhere in that time frame after, the uh, resurrection of jesus christ and that's important because when we think of something written like that we think here's jesus he's he he rose again he ascends into heaven and as soon as he disappears into heaven uh matthew mark and luke turn around and they're like just hey get your gospel here everybody get your gospel hot off the press get your gospel the story of jesus wasn't like that at all in fact they're stories were written 2530 but John in being unique to the four gospels his gospel was written 70 80 years after the events of Jesus Christ we don't know precisely but based off uh, historical data and based off the study by many many scholars in analyzing the text and analyzing the time period in which the text was written they estimate that somewhere 70 80 years after these these are important facts from this standpoint When they're giving us these events of Jesus's life, his death, his resurrection, they're giving us things to tell us a message or to share with us a message, not to simply just pass along facts. And so John is giving us this, 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 this message about who Jesus was and who Jesus is to you and I today, 2000 years later. And why I say that is because what's interesting is when you go through the gospel of John, you find that in some ways he tells a story over here and then he he jumps and tells a story over here. And then he jumps over here and tells a story over here. And in some ways they're not related in their chronological or biographical nature. They're not related at all. But John's telling us something that if we can pull back for a moment and look at the totality of these events we can begin to see there's something he's trying to speak to us through the power of the Holy Ghost that he's trying to get us to see in the story of Jesus Christ. So we're going to do that for just a few minutes today. And I'm not going, just in case you just kind of panicked here, we're not going through the entire book of John. Um, I do have a landing spot that if the Lord allows us to, we'll get to. But John is unique because the other Gospels open up with either the ministry of Jesus Christ, or they open up with the story of his birth, uh, his coming to earth. But John opens up his gospel with a very uh, powerful description of who Jesus was in John chapter 1. And verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, the word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing Was made that was made in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Right off the bat, John just kind of throws it right at you and I who Jesus was. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And then if you skip down to verse 14, it gives us another clue. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of his only begotten father, full of grace and truth. Now, a couple weeks ago, we talked about that full of grace and truth. But I want you to see something here in the beginning that John is kind of, this is his opening. I don't want to take you back to school for a moment, but let's just use this terminology. This is his opening thesis. And what I mean by this, this is his, this is the opening line by which he's going to now frame his entire gospel on. And it's this sort of framing. And I want you to look at it again. We're going to see it again. You'll see the beginning. He gives some clues. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light was shines to the darkness and darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. This came from a witness to bear witness of the light. Now notice, if you're reading along, in case you are reading along, or you go back and you read it later, notice that in verse number seven, the word light is capitalized. It's not talking about a light, but it's talking about the light. To bear witness of the light that all, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Now notice this. So for the very beginning, John is setting up this entirety of his message with this idea of this light and this darkness. And this sort of coming together of these two worlds of light and darkness. And he continues and, and, and he jumps right into it in, in chapter two. We get the very famous story that John tells us that no one else in other gospels tells us. And that's where Jesus turns the water into wine. And right off the bat, John is establishing. Notice this, this, and again, I don't want to wax too theological here. I mean by that, I don't make, I don't want to make this a theological discussion. I really uh, want to get to some some of the meat and potatoes of 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 how this speaks to you and I today. But I think there's some some important uh, uh, road road uh, uh, road marks along the way that we need to just check off, and that is the fact that. John gives us this story right after he kinda of opens this up with, with who Christ is and this light and this darkness and then talks about John the Baptist and kind of paving the way. And then it talks about uh at the end of chapter one he starts calling out his disciples, and then all of a sudden in chapter two it gives us this interesting story of Jesus turning the water into wine and in some ways it's a powerful miracle in fact it's the first recorded miracle we have of Jesus Christ in his ministry and it's important because it's the first one and there's some there's some there's some depth to that miracle it's more than just simply turning water into wine but there's some depth to that however it's more to establish if i can say it this way the credibility of who Jesus was it's not necessarily to say to you and i today hey if you've got Go, go right now to your kitchen, fill up some water, speak to that water, it's going to turn into a Kool-Aid. It's more than simply just telling us that Jesus has the ability. It's the fact of establishing he was who he said he was. And right after that, now go, get this ready. So we have these amazing, in John, we have these amazing contrasting moments of great power and demonstration and love kind of contrast with some of these more serious and uh, uh somewhat clashing moments. And right in the very beginning here, we see this in John chapter 2, because we start off with this amazing story and this really amazing miracle of Jesus turning the water into wine. And we know the, the, the line at the end of that where uh, the, the, the guest said, man, you know, usually when you come, they save the, the worst wine for last. But, you know, at this wedding, they've saved the best for last. And it was just an amazing moment here uh, that took place. And right after that, John follows that story up, this amazing story and this miraculous story. He, he, he follows it up again with this sort of contrasting moment. So Jesus takes the water, turns on the wine, and then here's what happens. Verse 13, follow along if you can. I would encourage you to follow along today just because I want to go through some scripture here. And if you're just watching me on the screen, and I didn't make any slides for these scriptures today because I wasn't sure how the Lord was going to unfold it. So I don't have these available for you on the screen today. So you might want to grab a Bible if you can to follow along. But verse 13 says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And it was found in the temple, those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he made a, when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen poured out the changers, uh, changers money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house, a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remember that it was written zeal for your house has eaten up. So the Jews answered and said, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said, Destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. Notice this. What an amazing contrast here because in one moment we got Jesus sort of this, 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 this somewhat uh, uh, inconspicuous bystander at a wedding that his mom sort of coaxed, basically, coaxes him into doing this miracle. He didn't want to do it. And his mom just basically said, son, you're going to do it. It's one of the greatest moments of all of scripture that Jesus had to listen to his own mother. Cause he said, no woman, it's, it's not time for me to do this. And she just turned to him and said, listen, whatever he tells you to do, you just do it. One of the great mom moments of all of history, like Mary and Mary got the ultimate mom badge in that moment. And you have this amazing moment of this miracle where jesus turns the water into wine and he follows it john follows this up with this sort of it's an unrelated in some degree unrelated story of jesus going to the temple for passover and finding it filled with merchandise and i don't have the time today and that's not the point of this of this morning is to go into the depth of what all that really meant and why that was just such an uh, 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 an appalling thing to Jesus that this was filled with money changers and people selling sacrifices. There's so much depth again to that. I don't have time to get into that. But again, he's it shows this sort of two sides of the story of Christ, right? This one side where Jesus is turning water into wine. And in reality, let's be honest, okay, let's just cut to the chase. We don't even know whose wedding it was. We don't know either. I'm going to guess that it had to be somebody that Jesus was related to, possibly a distant cousin. Maybe it was an interesting um, because if you go back and you read uh, that, that the, the, um, that Jesus and his family was from Galilee, this, this, uh, this wedding was performed in Cana of Galilee if you go look at just a simple map of Israel at the time, you'll notice that uh, Nazareth and Galilee weren't exactly near, neighboring towns. There was some distance between that those towns. So I don't know. We don't know how Jesus ended up at this wedding. We can speculate. But somehow he ended up at this wedding. But he didn't go to participate in the wedding. He was there to uh, be a part of the festivities. And so in this moment, we find that, let's be frank, okay, we don't even know who the wedding was for. We don't know anything about the, the, the festivities that went on there. And if they would have run out of wine, okay. I'm sure that wasn't the first or the last wedding then or now. Because I guarantee you some of you watching, your wedding didn't go according to plan. Just go online and look up wedding fails on YouTube and you'll see not every wedding goes according to plan. This wedding didn't go according to plan. They ran out of wine. Why? I don't know. Did they spill some in the back? Did they underestimate how many people are going to show up? No one knows. But in reality, let's just be frank. If Jesus would not have turned that water into wine, those individuals would have been still been married, and I, to be honest with you, life would have still went on. Think about that for a moment. That turning water into wine had no real real advancement on the mission of Jesus Christ. And in reality, I'd be frank with you. And if you had a great wedding or a poor wedding day and you had the best wedding day and you spent, I mean, I know people who spent literally tens of thousands of dollars on their wedding and they're divorced in less than five years. And I know people have spent $10 on the wedding and they were married for 50 years. So I don't even know if the, the the festivities of the wedding have any bearing on the longevity of the relationship. So the question kind of interesting is why would Jesus even bother to do this? Why would this even be a part of John's story? Because yeah, it was the first recorded miracle we have of Jesus Christ. Was that the first one he, he actually ever performed? Probably not, but we don't know that, it's speculation. But this is a, this is, this is given to us by John. It's the first recorded miracle. Jesus turning the water into wine. And yes, yeah, it's pretty, it's a pretty amazing story, right? I mean, come on. That's pretty, it's pretty awesome that Jesus takes water, makes it into the best wine these people have ever tasted. But let's be frank. That's not the greatest miracle Jesus performed in his three and a half years of ministry. I mean, there are some other life changing miracles. Let's be frank these people were drinking wine, but it wasn't like they were, it was, you know, some kind of, you know, magic elixir they were drinking. That was curing all their diseases. Jesus has Jesus healed blind eyes. I mean, he raised the dead. He caused lame people to walk again. I mean, he healed lepers. I mean, think about the stuff that Jesus did. That was just, I mean, not only had massive implications to that one individual, but the, but the power of that miracle spread throughout cities. I mean, he, he shows up to the guy that was so demonically uh, uh, um, uh, possessed. He's living in, in, in the graveyards. He's just out of his mind and Jesus speaks to him and sets him free. And, and everybody in the town goes, man, wow, we don't even know if anyone ever talked about this miracle other than the guests at a wedding. and it's interesting to me and again I'm, I'm we're going somewhere for a moment just just trying to get you to look at something for a moment as we get there is is john starts off with this with this sort of like you know if you ever go to fireworks at the end of the fireworks they have the grand finale right and they're just shooting fire well you know in the beginning it's one firework next firework but by the end of the uh, fireworks it's like i mean it's like the whole sky is lit up I, when I read John's gospel, it feels like John starts with the grand finale. I mean, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. I mean, just blow your mind right from the start. He didn't even break. You know, he didn't say, and there was a, there was a virgin named Mary and she was going to the market and buy some bread and she went back home and the angel of the Lord. I mean, that's sort of easing into it. He just goes to this grand finale, this grand entrance us in the beginning. I mean, give me your, just think about that line in your best Morgan Freeman voice in your head. In the beginning, you can't even say that word. You got to kind of have to say it with some, with some, some depth, kind of like, you know, in your best movie trailer voice in the beginning was the word. I mean, that's kind of how his, his, his gospel opens up and he gives us this sort of random miracle in some ways of Jesus turning the water into wine. Why? And, and if you look at it in isolation, yeah, you can pull, I said earlier for you, can pull some stuff out of that miracle. But when you fit it back into the story of the framework of the gospel, what is John saying to us? And what is God trying to say to us through John? Because he follows it up with this story of the temple, this temple story here that goes into this, this, this temple and he, and he goes and he starts tearing, tearing apart the temple because of money changers. And then John finishes up right after that story. He says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs in which he did. So, okay, now we're starting to get somewhere because now here, if you look at verse 23, if you're following along, go to verse 23. Look what happened here. Now we're starting to realize, okay, and now we know why John put that in there because he said many believed in his name because when they saw the signs he did. okay so we go back to the beginning of John chapter two and go, okay, wait a minute, um, Jesus performed the water and the wine. that's why he put that there because he's establishing the credibility of who Jesus is because many believe because he saw the signs it is, but Jesus did not commit himself to him to them. Well wait a minute, time out. Now, this is going to be the theme, right? This is huge here for a moment because this is something that's going to help you and I today. And I'm getting to a point here, and this is all building up. I know it feels like we're in a Bible class today, and I'm not trying to teach a Bible class. I'm trying to establish something so we can get there. So John has this theme, right? He's at this light and this dark thing, this theme going, the light and darkness. He talks about the light coming in the darkness, the darkness not comprehending, the light. And we got this sort of clashing of these two worlds. But then he gives us this other Theme that's going to be just as important to his story as he as it weaves as, and in fact, it's going to become huge later on in John chapter eleven, in the events that follow the resurrection of the of Lazarus. When Lazarus dies, and Jesus shows up, and he's late, and uh, they go he goes to to the grave, and he says, you know, the you know Lazarus come forth, and Lazarus is resurrected, and he comes out in his grave clothes, and you know it. The events that follow that. Fit to this theme. And John's telling us this right here. And it's a little clue for those of you who've never studied the Bible. Give me a little lesson today on how you can study the Bible. But here's a clue right here. We look at it. we see if you see the clue. Let's try it again. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping you are follow along here with me and you're not just staring at a at a, um, at a screen here. Because this is some powerful stuff that's going to help. Again, we're going to get to what this has to do with you and I today. But we're building here sort of this foundation. Now when he saw... Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in him in his name when they saw the signs in which he did. So let's establish that many believe because they saw the signs. Okay, we got that. But Jesus notices. Here we go. Here's the contrast to that. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. Whoa. Time out. And let's finish that off the end of verse chapter two. And he. And had no need that anyone should testify a man, for he knew what was in man. Now, John gives us this opening, beginning of Jesus. He establishes who he is and the credibility of who he is by giving us the fact that Jesus performs such an such a uh, a powerful miracle. But then he contrasts that back with this sort of. Going into the temple and just kind of losing his mind for a moment. And then he bookends that again. Right after that, he comes back with many believed in him because of the signs. But then he gives us this, this, this line that's this clue that sets up to me the story of his, of the gospel of John. And that is this. Jesus did not commit himself to those. To who? Who did Jesus not commit himself to? He didn't commit himself to those who had believed in his name because they saw the signs he did. Why? Because he knew. He knew. He knew all men. What is John really trying to say? John's really trying to say that my, that what I'm about to talk to you about is not just the facts of the of the message of Jesus Christ. But what I'm about to share with you over the next number of, uh, of, of stories about Jesus is really showing you what is the condition of man and how Jesus Christ came to fix that condition and change that condition that man has. And this sort of desire for Jesus Christ to, to, to address man's basic uh, uh needs but also man's fatal flaw because watch what happened right after that so he just breaks it down and then he comes in John chapter 3 one of the most famous conversations in all of scripture John chapter 3 Jesus speaks to a man by the name of Nicodemus Nicodemus who was a higher up an elite of society he was a man who was at the top of the food chain in the Jewish culture in Jewish in the Jewish world he comes to Jesus and notice this here watch what happens he says uh verse number 1 then the name of there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews this man came to Jesus by night and said to him rabbi we know that you are the teacher to come from god now notice this why do we know you come from god how do we know you came from God? What's, how do we know these things for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. So here we go back to this idea of signs. This is a huge theme. So how do you know you came from God? Because of the signs you did, we know you're from God. So what does Jesus do? Oh, he, you know, Jesus, what did Jesus say? Well, if you think that was good, wait till you see what I'm about to do. If you think that's good, you have no idea what I'm about to do. I mean, if you think, you think me turning some water into wine was a big deal, man, you have no idea. Get your popcorn out, get a good seat, cause it's about to be, it's about to go down. I mean, you're going to see stuff that's going to blow your mind. I mean, I'm, you're going to see literally people that were eaten up with leprosy grow body parts back. I mean, Nicodemus, if you thought that was good, you know, use today's vernacular, bro. You haven't seen anything yet. But Jesus didn't say that Jesus comes right back after this. And again, here's the point we're getting to, to you and I, he says, Hey, we know you do the things you do because the signs that are there, Jesus comes right back to him and says, listen. Most assuredly I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What does that have to do with Nicodemus? What does that have to do with the signs? And Nicodemus is sort of confused at all this because he says, Well, okay, I'm I'm so lost here. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus answered and said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That was born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound thereof, but can't tell where it comes or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. And now Nicodemus is starting to realize something is different here. And he pipes up and he says, OK, wait a minute. How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Whoa, okay, now we're starting to get somewhere. No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of God be lifted up, son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now here we go. Ready? Everyone quote this together. We know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world, through, that the world through him might be saved. Wait a minute. Now we're starting to get somewhere because Nicodemus comes back and we see this contrast again. John chapter 2 gives us this contrast where we have miracle, but then followed up with this message that people were following him because of the sign. And Jesus did not give himself to these people because he knew their hearts. He knew them. That word knew them wasn't like he knew their names, but the Bible, that word knew there, the Greek speaks to of knowing something in uh, knowing them in an inner way. He knew their hearts. And we followed up with John chapter three, where Jesus is this conversation with Nicodemus. I mean, Nicodemus kind of sneaks off at night and not one people to know he's talking to Jesus. He shows up to Jesus and he says, Hey, you know, we, we know that you, um, you, we know that you're somebody special because no one could do what you've done unless God sent him. I don't really know. We don't know what Nicodemus was up to. We can speculate, many have speculated what Nicodemus was up to. Maybe he was fishing for a a a, a, a miracle of his own. I mean, what what if what if Jesus would have turned to Nicodemus and said, "Hey, oh, yeah, I appreciate that compliment. Uh, do you have any needs?" What if Nicodemus has said, actually, you know, by the way, yeah, my, my, you know, my wife is sick. My son is not feeling well. My daughter is, you know, she's got a withered hand. I don't know. But Jesus did not address that. He went to a different method with Nicodemus and he says to Nicodemus, Hey, listen, let's get to the heart of the issue here. You must be born of the water and of the spirit. To enter the kingdom of heaven. He gives us the description of what that is. And then he gives us this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have have everlasting life. Now. Here's where we are today. And I could go on and on. And we're going to try to finish up here in John chapter 4. We're not going to go through the entirety of John. Even though if we followed the entirety of John. You'll see this back and forth continue. But here's the, here's, here's the point to you and I today of why John's gospel is so applicable in our world, especially today in 2022. And that's because we have the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then we've added a fifth gospel. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and in most Bibles, we've added a fifth gospel. Now, before you panic and you go look for it, you're not going to find it. It's not actually in there, but we've added it anyways. And that fifth gospel is what I call the Americanized gospel. This is a gospel that was written by and written for Americans. And what I mean by that is, is that when you read the message of Jesus Christ as given to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John gives us the one of the best descriptions of who Jesus was and what he came to do, The Americanized gospel is completely different than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because let's just say for a moment that in the Americanized gospel, what the Nicodemus story would have been about. So I'm going to show you the difference between John's gospel and the American gospel. Because in the American gospel, Nicodemus would have come to Jesus. By night said, hey, listen, uh, I know you're a a man sent by God because no one can do the things you do unless God sent him. Now, in John's gospel, Jesus went to must be born of the water of the spirit. In John's gospel, Jesus said, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He that believeth shall be, He, 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 uh, 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 that that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but through the world that he might be saved. That's John's, that's John's description of Jesus' response. But in the American gospel, American gospel, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it would have been different because Nicodemus would have come to Jesus and Jesus would have said, hey, listen, that was awesome. Thank you for the praise now. Because you come to me, let me show you what I can do for you. If you think that was awesome, wait till I show you more. I'm going to just, I'm going to pour blessing all over you. Because in the American gospel, it's really about what can Jesus do for me right now? That's what, we're here, right? Okay, we're on here this morning. It's not. It's it's nine fifty four. I got up at nine o'clock. It's the Sunday after Thanksgiving. I'm on here right now. What what am I doing? Tell me how Jesus can make me, my life better right here, right now. Wait a minute. What if I ask you today? What if what if this was the premise? And this is a hard hard pill to swallow. I get it. But right now, what if your life doesn't get better from this point forward? Now let's define better for a moment. Better from the standpoint of problems, difficulties, pain, sorrow, all the things that we don't like went away. What if they don't go away? Well, I see you issue a You were like, okay, let's go back to talking about John. We don't want to talk about this, but what if they never went away? What if they don't ever go away? What if problems in your life never go away? What if difficulty never go? What if you are someone who is acquainted with sorrow and grief and that becomes something you deal with? What if you're somebody who deals with loss? What if you're somebody that has dealt with or deals with broken lives and broken dreams and broken hearts? What if? Now i got to ask you, if that's the case, does that devalue or discredit the message of Jesus Christ? Now in the American gospel, it totally discredits it. Because in the American gospel, Jesus is hero. He's Captain America. He's come to not only save the world, he's come to make the world a better place. In the American gospel, he shows up and saves the day. Right? But not so quickly. Because in John's gospel, he starts off and gives us this this message that you and I can't forget today. And I wish I had time and I'm running out of time to go through the entirety of it to really show you how John continues to play this out. But John's really trying to tell us that Jesus keeps the main thing the main thing. Because honestly, what I want in a Savior is not what he came to give in a Savior. I want a savior that's come to rescue me. I want a savior that's come to change my life for the better. And what I mean by that is, hey, listen, can you fix all this stuff? And listen to how we present. And I'm not saying we're right or wrong. This is not a, but don't, don't take it as I'm I'm being critical here, but look how we present Jesus today. Come to Jesus and, 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 and he's going to, Fill your life and, and it's going to give you all these things. It's going to give you all these things. Is there truth to that? Yes, the Bible says righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. There's so many things that are, are benefits that what we do when we're walking with Jesus Christ. But is that really how he presented himself to these, to these individuals? Because when Nicodemus opens up by saying, listen... We know you come from God because you've done these signs. Jesus' response back to him was completely different than what you and I would have expected in that moment. I know we say, well, that's because obviously we've read it. But if we could detach ourselves from the moment for just a second, I don't think that's how we would have answered the question or even responded back. In fact, Jesus answers a question that Nicodemus didn't even ask. But Jesus goes to the heart of it. I said this several weeks ago, and this is kind of something that's been sort of ever since I said it, it can kind of sort of driving it is that we're not mistakes in need of correction, but we're sinners in need of a savior. Let's say that again. We're not mistakes in need of correcting, we're sinners in need of a savior. What I mean by all that, I mean this, simply this. The core of the message of Jesus Christ, as John gives us and gives to you and I today, that is still applicable right now on November 27th, 2022 at 9.59 Eastern Standard Time is this. Is that Jesus Christ came into this world to save you and I. His mission in my life and in your life is to save me. But not just save me, because I've said before, if it's just about saving me, then let's just get on with it. Why leave me here? Because I'm going to mess it up. But the message of Jesus Christ is not just to save me, but he's put me on this earth and left me here so I can be an example. Jesus said in the John 20, John's capstone of his entire message Jesus says in John chapter 20, as I have been sent, so send I you. Meaning, I've come to this world that I'm making you like me so that you can do the same thing I've done. Why is this important? Because today, are you on the same page with Jesus in your life? Are you and Jesus in sync in your life? Now this is whether somebody, you've been walking with Jesus for 472 years or you've been walking for Jesus with 472 seconds. Are you in connection and in, 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 in harmony with what God is doing in your life? Because in reality, He's doing two things. He's desiring to save you, but He's desiring to shape you. Shape you how? shape you into the image of him so that you can be his representative. Those are the two things. And we see that throughout the gospel of John, it is played over and over again, over and over again, that man wants a sign. We want our life. If he, you know, throughout time, Jesus is like, Doing miracles and people are enamored with the miracle. Oh, these miracles are amazing. You're such an amazing. But in the end, starting at John chapter 11, Jesus calls a dead man out of the grave, dead for three days to the point the Bible says he actually started to smell. They pull him out of the grave and in the same crowd that sees a dead man walk again, turns against Jesus. In the same moment, they go, wow. In the same breath, they go, crucify him. Let's get rid of him. Why? Because you know what's funny? Jesus, the message of Jesus Christ, was not signs and miracles. The message of Jesus Christ was deeper into the heart of man. You see, we like signs and miracles and wonders because, let's be honest, those things enamor us. They're fun to watch. And Jesus does those. He's a healer. He's a deliverer. He's a way I get all. Yes. hundred percent. But in the end. They said they believed in him. John chapter one. They believed in him. because of the signs. Sorry. John chapter two. They believed in him because of the signs that he did. But Jesus did not give himself to them. Wait a minute. I thought all I had to do was believe. But who are you believing in? Are you believing in the miracle worker? Are you believing in the savior? Because you know what's amazing? Here's what I believe. And this is the contrast. And this is how John sets it up. And I'm, I'm almost finished here today. John sets it up like this. Ready? John starts off with this great story of the miracle of turning water into wine. Whoa. What a miracle. And then he contrasts this with Jesus going after the 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 corruption of the religious system in Israel. That the religious system in Israel had turned so corrupt. But somewhere in that he was turning over tables and beating people out of the uh, whipping people out of the temple. But he must have done some more miracles because those who believed were in Jerusalem. The miracle of the wedding was in Cana. So these were two separate areas. So we have the miracle of, the wa- of Cana. John gives us that to say, listen, I'm just going to let you guys know before we get too deep into this. Jesus was legit. But the miracles that were talked about at the end of John chapter 2 were miracles that took place in Jerusalem. So on one hand, Jesus is whipping and driving people out. But on the other side, he's still doing miracles. And what's crazy is the Bible says they believed in him. Go back and read it. I know you think I'm making it up. Go back and read it. It's in there. John chapter two. It's in that book. You call a Bible. Dust, Get the dust off of it and look at it again. It says, now when they saw Jesus during the feast, many believed in his name because when well, they saw the signs in which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. What does that mean to you and I today? That means they love the idea of Jesus, the miracle worker. But they didn't like the idea of Jesus the Savior. And when Nicodemus shows up, Nicodemus addresses the miracle worker, but Jesus addresses the need for a Savior. Can God heal? Yes. Can God put lives back together again? Yes. Can God heal you of shame and hurt and brokenness? And can God mend 100% yes, I've seen it. I've experienced it in my own life. 100% yes, he can. But more than needing a miracle, I need a savior. More than needing a sign, I need salvation. Because watch what happens, the next story, and I'm, I'm, I'm finishing up here and I don't have time to go through it again, but the next story John gives us is this story of the woman at the well. This beautiful story about this woman who live, whose life was absolutely in shambles. I mean, her life was absolutely in shambles. Complete shambles. And Jesus speaks to her and addresses her and changes her life. And at the end of John chapter 4, this is what she says about Jesus. And many of the Samaritans of that city, it's verse 39 of chapter 4. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. And this is her testify. This is what she said. Many believed in that city. And this is why they believed. She said this, he told me all that I've ever did. What What about the sign? Why didn't Jesus say, hey, listen, if you drink from this water, you're going to thirst again. But listen, I have this thing. I already did it before. I'll do it for you today. Free of charge. Give me your water. I'm going to turn this water into the best wine you've ever tasted. No, didn't do that. In fact, he gave he gave this woman no miracle. But he gave her a savior. Today. You don't need a miracle. You need a savior. The scripture talks about those who seek for a sign. In the American gospel, it's all about signs and wonders and miracles because we are enamored with the bright, shiny things of life. We're enamored with the new iPhone and the latest gadget and the latest and. In- The latest fashion, the latest trend, the newest movie. We're always wanting the newest thing. And in the American gospel, we want Jesus to fit that. You know what? Thank you, Lord, that you, that you answered my prayer a week ago, but let's be honest. That was a week ago. I need you to answer it today. Let's get moving. Hey, come on. Let's go. Speed it up. No, no, no. Today, I need a savior. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I say this not to sound condemning, but hell is going to be filled with people who saw and experienced the miraculous miracles of Jesus Christ. Hell will not be a place filled with those who never saw or experienced Christ. There may be some there, but hell would be hell will have plenty that have experienced the power of Jesus Christ. But ultimately, it's not the power of Jesus Christ and the miracles of Jesus Christ that I need. I need a savior. Because ultimately. I'm lost without him. I don't need him to fix me. I need him to save me. If he never f- changes anything else in my life, if I never get past where I am, if I never get that job or the house, that car, that career, that dream, and I'm constantly dealing with disappointment. I said this before and I'm, I'm trying to finish I'm gone longer than I normally would today, but I just, the Holy Ghost is still speaking to someone if you're listening. Go to the book of Acts. Look at them. Look at the situation of the world that day. They did not promise, Hey, come experience Jesus Christ and he's going to make life wonderful and you're going to have peace and joy and the Romans aren't going to mess with you. No, their whole line was follow Jesus today. You could be dead tomorrow. Oh, follow Jesus today. It's going to be wonderful. But by the way, you could be fed to the lions tomorrow. You could be beheaded. You could be put into prison. And people flocked to the church. People, you couldn't keep people away. In fact, it was so much that even the message of Jesus Christ reached to the height of the Roman Empire into this house of Caesar. It wasn't the message of a miracle worker. It was the message of a savior. There's an old song we used to sing years ago. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. See, the message of Jesus Christ is not to make this world your home. The message of Jesus Christ is you and I need a Savior. I need a Savior. I need a Savior. savior. You need a savior. I can't tell you today. I promise you. If you, if you walk with Jesus, ma'am I'm telling you what, let's, it's going to get good. And woo, it's going to get good. It may not get good, buddy. It may not come to Jesus. And like, I mean, your life's going to be filled with just wonderful things. It may come to Jesus. Your life may feel with hurt and sorrow and disappointment and pain and anguish. And you may not always get everything answered and you may not always have your problem solved. And you may be dealing with Situations that don't turn out the way you want. This is not the American gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should have a life filled with peace and happiness and contentment and love. And just wonderful, just amazing things. No, that whoever believes in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. Today you and I need saviors. I need a savior. You need a savior. We all need saviors. Because ultimately the message of Jesus Christ is, is that we're not mistakes in need of correction, but we're sinners in need of a savior. So whether he ever does the miracles or not, doesn't change the fact that I need a savior. And as he saves me, And I'm living and walking in that salvation. He's molding and shaping me so that I can, in return, turn around like that woman did and say, listen, let me tell you about Jesus. He showed me who I was and set me free. He can do the same for you. Not come and God's going to make your life perfect and God's going to do this. I can't guarantee you that because if that's the case, honestly, I don't have a lot of evidence to back that up. Don't have a lot of evidence back up that God's going to make your life perfect. In this world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This is the choice. Jesus gave it to the woman at the well. You drink from this water, you're going to thirst again. You drink from this water, you'll never thirst again. What are the differences in the water? One is the moment. One is eternal. What are you seeking today? Are you seeking the miracle of the moment? Or are you seeking the peace of the eternal? You can't have both. Do you want God to fix your needs right now so that you can just make room for more needs? Honestly, God fixes your problem today. Just wake up tomorrow morning with new problems. Or do you want the eternal saying, God, whether or not you ever answer another prayer again, I just want you. I want you. I want to walk with you. Because the eternal far outweighs the temporal. Man's always looking for a shortcut. That's the whole thing in John chapter two, when Jesus gets mad and turns the money changers over, man's always trying to find a shortcut. I mean, come on, where are the Kings that we're our, our world is King of convenience. But in the end, there's only one way. I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the father, but by me, you need a savior. I need a savior. that's the message of jesus christ is that you and i both need saviors because without him i'm lost i'm lost without him i'm going to perish without him i'm going to perish there's an eternal destination for all of us i know we don't like to talk about that and 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 maybe god's let me go this long for those who or just curious if turned off by now, and it's just you and I left. And I don't even know if there's anybody still left watching this morning, but you're still on here. That's the bottom line in all this is that you and I have an eternal destination that we're going to end up in. And that eternal destination has really one choice. We need a savior. Because the Bible says it, and Jesus said it numerous times. What would it matter if you gained the whole world and lost your soul? Or what would you give in exchange for your soul? Let me ask you this, if God answered every one of your prayers right now, everything in your life completely, or several weeks ago, you would have been the winner of that $2 billion lottery, whatever it was. The single winner in California, you would have been that winner. That would have been you. And all of a sudden now, you've become one of the richest people in the world in just one moment, but you had to give your soul up in exchange for that moment. Would you have done it? I know what we say. I would have never done that. My soul means more than me than that. But yet we try to get God to do that all the time. No, not with the lottery, but God, you know, would you fix this? Would you do this? God, change this. I don't like this. I don't like the way you're doing this. I don't like this. Wait a minute. Time out. I don't want to. God, if I've got to lose it all. But you save me. It's worth it. Paul even echoed it. After all of Paul's achievements, he says, woe be unto me if I preach the gospel and find myself a castaway. Let's not forget in all of this Antioch West that all of God's done. It really comes down to what good is it if we do all of this, but we lose the fact of the fact we all need a savior. You need a savior, and I need a savior. For God so loved the world that He gave the only begotten Son; whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We need a savior. I need a savior. That's the message of Jesus Christ.